Father, we just come to you this morning. We just want to thank you. Because when you shake things for your children, it is the reason. The reason is that you are asking us to check our faith. For we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And as we go through this process of examining our faith, help us to look inside, look into our lives in the light of these past 12 months and to see where we stand in our walk with you, where we are, O Lord. Show us, Spirit of God, the word may sound the same from the pulpit, but Father, the application will be absolutely different as your Spirit impresses in the minds and the spirits of each person. So Father, I pray you will speak. And I release this teaching into thy hands, Spirit of God. Anoint us to hear. And I come with Sammy as he goes for his exam today. Pray that your hand would be upon him, Lord. Take him safely, let him do well. And bring him back safely, Lord. We commit all today's meetings into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So when we closed, I hope you listened last night, uh, yesterday morning. I hope you did. Otherwise, this is part two. And you will have to go back and listen to part one after part two. So the question is, where are we asked yesterday in that journey? We ended up by saying, where am I? See, that's the first question God asked to mankind. Remember, the first question of God in Genesis chapter 3 is, where are you? Whether you are Adam or whether you are Elijah, the question is the same. Adam is just begun. Elijah is like the peak of his ministry. To both of them, God asked the question, where are you? To Elijah, he asked, what are you doing here? To Adam, he asked the question, where are you? That's what we are looking. You see, if you, if you go to these big malls or a huge airport, when you go through it, sometimes you will see this map of the mall, the map of the airport, and you see all the things, these many floors and all this thing, and then you will see a small red dot saying, you are here. <laughs> okay. Now, the problem is, if you don't know where you are, it does not matter <laughs> what the map says. So when you look at the red dot and you look there and then you look around, okay, this is where I am. From there you get your coordinates to the rest of the place. So you need to know where you are. Where you are. Where you are. We need to know where you are. Yesterday we asked this question, are you in Egypt? You accepted the compromises of the Pharaoh? So are you now worshipping the living God in the ways of Egypt? And so many churches are, and they don't realize it. Oh, have you crossed the Red Sea? Have you left? Have you crossed the Red Sea? Are you wandering in the desert because you refuse to fight for your promises? Or are you on the east side of Jordan because you said it was good for my cattle and my people? No, some people settle like Lot. Looks, look, looks like the garden of God but is on the wrong side. looks so green and nice. A lot of people don't move into God's positions because they like where it is. 
they love the city they love the comforts of the city and although they know deep inside like i loved the mountains i would have loved to live and die in the mountains i hate the city but deep inside i could never be comfortable because i knew in this dirty dusty unhealthy city was where i was called so here i am 20 years later still here i am and still dream up the mountains but here i am and this pandemic has has closed for this year i couldn't i only went in jan i couldn't go to the mountains otherwise i would have spent so much time in the mountains the pandemic didn't even allow it or have you crossed the jordan did you cross the jordan has the spirit of god circumcised your heart after you crossed the jordan has the reproach of this world the shame of your past been rolled away it doesn't bother you anymore because you allowed the holy spirit to deal with your heart have you eaten the fruit of the land moved from manna to barley from the milk of the word to the meat of the word are you staring at the walls of jericho have you encountered the man with the sword jehoshabot have you taken off your sandals on your face before him so that you can receive direction how to conquer this land how to appropriate the life of jesus are you marching along around the walls of the stronghold by faith has it come down have you been tempted by mammon when the walls came down in jericho have you defeated by i sin have you destroyed sin in your life and risen up again and gone with all your strength against i so many places you can be so you need to know where you are in that map so that's why we are looking it's like i said this is revision time we are looking looking in all history people do not realize so many christians do not realize the importance of the old testament in understanding the new covenant life in first corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 this is what scripture says now all these things happen to them <laughs> we are looking at the wanderings of israel all these things happen to them as examples and they were written for our admonition for our teaching our warning this were all written otherwise god, god did you see god did not preserve the history of any other nation we didn't preserve the history of any other nation the only history god has preserved is the history of israel only history and that is the only authentic history we have in human history everything is colored by the eyes of man and the eyes of the victors okay so you will never see anything negative of any of these greats they all have a halo around their head behind their heads but bible is the only authentic history absolutely true because it was written by men who were moved by the holy spirit and the history you have is of one nation that is israel why was it written for our sake upon whom the end of the ages have come so if it was written by paul in the first century how much more it is relevant upon us who the very end of the ages have come he was talking about the end of the ages we are living at the last closing moments of human history literally closing i honestly i do not know which way it is going which way it is going okay are we are we in the beginning of the end are we at the beginning do we have more than 10 to 15 years i don't know okay i have no clue but our job is to get our act together and cross check our lives because all these written 
That's why we say the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, It is get to know your word, get to know the God of the word. So yesterday we saw our battle with the world. Okay, and the answer, there are two answers to the battle with you. We have our enemies, two enemies outside, one enemy inside. We have heard enough about Satan and spiritual warfare and also we, I'm not looking at it at this time. But our enemy outside the world, the answer to that is baptism. There are two answers to that, okay, to the world. One is, the first is baptism. You have to die in your baptism. And every day live in the light of that death. And I die to the world. I die to the world. Okay. Second thing you need to realize is you have to cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.14. Okay. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Get it very clear. There are two crosses in a person's life, and there were two crosses in Jesus' life. From the beginning till the end, he carried his cross and died to the world on that. But on the on Mount Calvary, it's a different cross. It's a cross we gave him. So we are not, Jesus pick up your cross and follow me. We are not talking about that cross. That's a different weapon altogether. That is for death to self. This cross is where the world dies. So don't confuse this cross. Don't confuse this cross. Okay? It says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That cross of Jesus Christ, meaning I identify completely with the death of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is dead to the world, so am I. I don't want to have a life apart from Jesus. This is a daily reckoning. Okay, and what does he say? I should boast. It's an interesting word, right? Boast. I want to boast about the cross. Come to, let us see. We looked at the two things, baptism and this thing. Let us look at that in uh, little in detail. Five minutes. Colossians 2.12. Right? I gave it? Yeah. Colo- no, no. Colossians 12.13-15. I didn't give it? Oh, I'm sorry. 2.12 and then from 13-15. to 15. Or you can go from 12-15. to 15. Because we need to look at what does the cross mean. So you will see both are put together. These two weapons we use to die to the world. The first is baptism. Buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The first thing is baptism. Israel had to go through the waters and Egypt and the Pharaoh. The influence of the world is over. Then Bible says reckon yourself dead. 3, uh, um, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The cross comes in. The cross takes away all the demands of the law. And the world from, okay? And then verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is the key. This is a spiritual fact. What happened on the cross? Now, this is not the picture on earth. This is the picture in heaven. 
what happened on the cross was the most humiliating thing that ever happened to Satan. Satan was destroyed. His power was destroyed. He was humiliated. That's what it means. He what made a public spectacle in the cross. He was humiliated. He was spoiled. He was His power was taken. He was put in chains and dragged behind Jesus Christ to show the entire spiritual universe. This fellow is nothing. I am the conqueror. This is a slave. It is publicly he was humiliated in the spiritual realm. Meaning, the ruler of this world has been judged. It is being judged. So, God says, don't be identified with the loser. Okay, Don't be identified with the loser. Nobody wants to be identified with the loser. That's why whenever a political party wins, suddenly you see defections all from the previous. Everybody is defecting and suddenly they see great virtue in that new party. Everybody is, no. God says, you are a fool if you don't understand the devil has been destroyed completely. Completely destroyed. His power has been taken out in the spiritual realm. He is nothing. Nothing. Okay. And how was it destroyed? By the cross. By the cross. So if you really, really believe that, what will you boast about? The cross. That's what he's talking about. I boast about the cross. Because when I boast about the cross, the world means nothing. The ruler has been has been judged. That means his domain also has been judged. This world means nothing because I know this world is going into the trash bin and it is going to be burned away. So I will boast about the cross that did it. The instrument that God used. His son on the cross defeated. Okay, So you need to remember it's about baptism and the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. So we boast. Meaning we are dead to the ways of the world, the values of the world, and the approval of the world. Yesterday, uh, Sunday Pastor Vijay talked about flattery. That's the issue with flattery. The devil flatters. Everything is sold to us by flattery. The world sells. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17 is beautifully says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is there in the world? For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh. Okay, the world and the flesh are made for each other. Each other. The lust of the eyes, it appeals to your senses, your carnal senses, and pride. It appeals to your pride. Okay, it is to your pride. That is why they put labels outside. Otherwise, labels should have been only inside, right? Okay, you have to put a label, one crown over here. I mean, I'm talking about men, women, I don't know. Okay, they have to put a label and say, no, then you don't fold your sleeves because people have to see that label, no? <laughs> Everything is associated. A watch won't do. It has to be, I don't know, Rolex or whatever. Okay. And our forefathers will roll in their graves if they know how much you spend for it. Everything is connected with that. Everything is connected with It's not owning something which is useful to you. I'm not talking about buying chief stuff. I'm buying a power. It's good to buy, spend money and buy something which will sustain you for many years. I'm not even talking about that. That's That's smart. That's being a smart buyer. We are talking about labels. We are talking about uh, how pride, the entire world is associated, built on pride, because that was the nature of the devil. So this world system is a bubble. One day, God will just take a pin and 
it's gone. <laughs> in one hour, God says, Babylon will be destroyed. Okay? So we die to the world in our baptism. We die to the world when we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. We glory in it. We boast about the cross. We preach Christ crucified. We are not ashamed of him. Okay? We are not ashamed of him. Okay? And there he says in verse 17, the desires of the world is passing away. <laughs> but does it look like that? It looks like as if the world is getting better and better and more glittering, more glamorous, more inventions, more speed and more, all kind of things are coming. So to wake us up, God sends a virus. And suddenly everybody wakes up and says, everything is stopped. Okay, God says, that's all. You think this world is so smart, so great. All it took was one virus. One virus. And he shut down the whole world. Okay? And it's desires, the lust of it, the desires. But remember this, the desires of heaven never pass away. It's never pass away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So this is where we deal with the world, our first enemy. We left the world and you need to be very, very careful that you left the world and you do not go back to the world. How do you, you reckon yourself dead? You don't have to get baptized 15 times a lifetime. Once, if it's a genuine baptism, live in the life. You have to speak all these things out. Speaking is powerful. Because that's what the word of word you believe is very near you. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Word is important. Speaking is important. Living is, you know, hearing is important. Doing is important. Speaking is. People who do also don't speak. And they still feel miserable because they haven't spoken it out. Because the devil has to hear you. God does everything by speaking. So you have to speak, you know. You have to get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, you know what, I am dead to this world. I believe in my baptism. In that baptism, that old me died, okay, died. Go back to that living experience. I died. I'm starting, Lord, yesterday I was really alive, but today I get up and I'm going back to the fact of my baptism. I died, you live. And the person who lives is living in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You have to constantly live in that fact of it. That is spiritual. Now we go to the second enemy. Second enemy in Israel's journey. In 13, 14, they come out. 15, they cross over. 17, suddenly you see the second enemy coming out of nowhere. In Exodus 17 and verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. It does not say Israel came and fought with Amalek. No. Amalek comes and fights with you. Amalek comes and fights with you. Now, we know, let me explain to the new ones who are listening, Amalek represents our flesh. Flesh is a spiritual entity in this physical. I can touch my body, but I cannot touch my flesh. I cannot touch my anger. Though if you touch somebody with words, their anger will come out. <laughs> I cannot touch my jealousy. I cannot touch, no, if you look, if, like we looked yesterday, Galatians 5, 19 to 22, it's not an exhaustive list, it's a very large list. You will see, this is the flesh. You cannot see the flesh. I can see my body. If I lift my hand, you can lift, see my hand. But you cannot see my flesh, but you can see the works of my flesh. Because the flesh is a spiritual entity. You cannot see the wind. You can see the works of the wind. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. You can see the works of the Holy Spirit. So please understand flesh. Israel has not faced a single battle yet. And suddenly Rephidim comes and attacks them. 
at Rephidim, Amalek comes and attacks them. Please understand, Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Okay, Esau. When Rebekah conceived after 20 years of prayer, Isaac and Rebekah, 20 years of prayer, Rebekah conceived, there was a huge battle going in her womb. So she goes to the Lord and asks, what is this? Let's go there. Genesis 25 and verse 20. This is what the Lord told her. Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. This is a picture in the Old Testament about every one of us. In me, there are two people. The old me and the person who was born again. A lot of people do not have that experience, so they do not know what you are talking about. Because they have only one person. They don't have two purposes. Only one person. But only once you are born again, you will understand this conflict. Okay? So, really, Christians also do not understand what born again experience is. So, so many Christians are fooled they are going to heaven when they are not going to heaven. Okay? Going to heaven. If you are not born again, born again, when you stand before God, you will wish you were never born. You were never born. Because if you are not born again, you will die twice. If you are born again, you will only die once. So if you are not born again, when you stand before God, you will wish I was never born. I was never born. So it is not a small thing. It's a very, very serious issue. There are two nations in you. And they will be contending with each other. But God has prophesied. What has God has spoken? What is that? The older shall serve the younger. The younger has to dominate the older. Meaning the newborn person, the born again person, the spiritual person has to dominate the old man. There's a new man and the old man. What is that? That is why when the new man comes out, suddenly Amalek comes out. Till then there is no Amalek. Israel has never experienced Amalek in Egypt because they are not born again. Picture. But once they come under the blood and they leave Egypt, come out of the world, Amalek comes out. Meaning if you are a false Christian, thinking you are a Christian, living in Egypt, you will not face the struggle of Amalek. You will not face the struggle of Amalek. You don't contend with Amalek in Egypt. Because you know, you need to understand this. The devil is the best counterfeiter ever. Okay, You know what counterfeit notes are, right? He is the best counterfeit ever. And the best counterfeit he has produced is counterfeit Christianity. Not religion. These are all his and man's enterprise. But the best counterfeit the devil has ever produced is counterfeit Christianity. The most dangerous counterfeit where it's a set of people, a large set of people who think they are going to heaven and they will wake up to a rude awakening. They are not going to heaven because they did not examine their faith. That's why constant warning in the Bible to check our faith, check our faith, check our faith, trials and tests so that we know whether we are really saved or not. And to be grounded in faith, to grow in our faith, grow in grace. All these things what? To be very sure, very sure because it is appointed unto man to die once and after that it is judgment. So there are two nations over here. The old man and the new man. 
Romans 8, 6 and 7. The old man has his mind. The new man has his own mind. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. There is peace. In the midst of your storm, you still have peace. You still have peace. Whatever disaster is happening, pandemic is happening, panic is there, plague is there, death is there. Okay, you fear death. When you fear that sickness, but you still know if you die, you know where you are going. There is still peace about it. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's, it's not, read sentence carefully, it's not saying the carnal mind is at enmity. Carnal mind is enmity against God. The whole mind itself is against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Okay, so the old man's mind is complete, he's very religious. He's not a religious person, please understand, he's a religious person. Okay, the carnal mind can be a religious person. In a religious person. But he does, it's not subject to God. He's a religious person. He's not subject to God. Okay. And about the old man, the another name for Esau is Edom. And Edom's grandson is Amalek. God has very tough words to say in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That old man, the old James, the old you. What does he say? The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved. Yeah. But Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. He says, Jacob I loved. Esau I hated, though they were twins, and Esau came first, and Jacob came, okay? Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. God, that's why scripture says, no flesh will ever boast before God. No flesh. He will accept nothing of my flesh or your flesh. He will fight us forever. The, the, the Spirit of God will fight our flesh forever and ever. And we need to realize no flesh will stand before God. Nothing will happen. Nothing will go over there. So God is not talking about baby Esau here. <laughs> He's talking about our old nature. The old nature. The fleshly nature. And God despises it. And all its works, all the works, that's why he says your righteousness is like filthy rags. He hates, hates the work of the old nature. It doesn't matter how good it is, he hates it. Because where does it come from? It comes from, it comes from that old nature. And that's the problem with religious people. The problem with religious people, you cannot talk to them. You cannot talk. God has to convict them. God has to break them. And some of them are unbreakable. Unbreakable. And you have to keep praying. You have to keep praying. Because that's the nature of the old nature. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. For the flesh lusts or contends against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. So, Israel is on the journey and suddenly Amalek comes. Amalek is fighting the spirit. 
Okay? The flesh is fighting the spirit. The spirit is fighting the flesh. The spirit is not told. You are not told to be quiet like with the world. Die to the world. He says, fight the flesh. You have to engage in a genuine battle with the flesh. You don't fight the world. You die to the world. You cling to the cross. You cling to the cross of Jesus. You boast about the Christ, cross of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the flesh, the Bible says you need to fight because the flesh fights against the spirit and the spirit fights against the flesh. Now, before we get into it, let's go back to Exodus 17 and read the first six verses so that we understand what is happening here. Old Testament pattern, New Testament experience. <coughs> The congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. According to the command of the Lord, camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Okay, Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Okay, these are not sanctified people, okay? These are just justified people. Okay, and Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of the Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and the water will come out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Okay. Now if you go to First Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 4, this is what scripture says. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus Christ. Okay? John 7, verse 37 to 39, explains it better. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what was the water they drank? It was the Holy Spirit. Okay? They were, I mean, it's a picture. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit they were drinking. Did you get it? The rock was struck. Jesus was smitten on the cross. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit is released. Now people are drinking the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now you go back and look at Exodus 17 and verse 8. As soon as you partake of the Holy Spirit, the flesh rises up. Because the flesh contends against the spirit and the spirit contends against the flesh. Then Amalek comes up. Because you are partaken of the spirit. Till then Amalek is quiet. If you are a counterfeit Christian living in Egypt, there is no contention. There is no contention. Amalek is fine. Amalek is very happy in Egypt. He loves Egypt because they are all of the same nature. There is no issue. But the minute you drink of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit actually comes in and He gives you life, gives you life when you partake 
Okay, this is the picture you need to realize. Okay, in salvation, all of it takes simultaneously, but the pictures are given so that we understand whether our Christianity is genuine, our Christianity is counterfeit. When you drink of the Holy Spirit, immediately, Amalek rises. Your flesh rises because the flesh hates it. The flesh despises it. Okay? Flesh rises up. And how does, how does it rise? Okay, we saw in Galatians 5.17, right? The flesh contends against the spirit and the spirit against the, the flesh. And how does it happen? It's not a straightforward attack. You see, the world attacks you straightforward. Flesh doesn't attack you straightforward. It doesn't attack you. The world will come and straight away attack you in the face. Okay? Another example is, simple example is that, you see, if you are, if you are in a family and you got saved, at least your flesh and blood, all is similar, flesh and blood is similar, you know. Your neighbor may come and fight you straight about you, about your faith, in your face. But the family will do behind your back. They won't directly tell you. They will call up all the others and behind your back. Before you say, ha, how are you, nice, so, uh, this thing. But behind your back, they will attack you, sneak attack. That's how it does. That's how it does. It's a very, very sneaky way. And the flesh in us also attacks us very sneakily. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 70. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? How you met you on the way and attacked you on the rear ranks? He doesn't come front. Just He attacks you. How does he attack you? It's a very sneaky way the flesh attacks you. Okay. I mean, you're fasting. And you decide in the morning, you're hungry, you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to eat, and today's a day of fasting, and then you wanted a little water, you open the fridge, so suddenly there's a sneak attack. <laughs> you went for something, you went for something, and then there is this laddu looking at you from there. And before you knew you have partaken of, it was a sneak attack. It didn't come straight forward. It did not come straight forward like, now I need to go and have breakfast. No. You had already decided that's not going to happen. He attacks you sneakily. Okay? Attacks you sneakily. You know? How you attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary. So you have to be very, very careful about tiredness. When you are tired. When you are weary. That's why always Jesus would take his disciples apart with him and says, rest. Rest. That is why we have to always go back to God and get our spiritual rest. Because when you are tired and weary, you are open. You are open for the sneak attack by the Amalek. Okay? You are open. You are open. See, listen to this this statement. Okay? God tests you at your strongest. The devil attacks you at your weakest. Are you getting the picture? Where you think you are strong, God will test you to show that. Don't depend on that. So Paul was very full of head knowledge, full of knowledge of God. So it was he was becoming very strong. So God says, you know what? I'm going to put something over there so that you will not trust in it. You will trust in me. Okay? So if you put your trust in money, he's going to test you in that. 
If you put your trust in your intellect, he's going to test you in that. If you have strength in your physical strength, he's going to test in it. If you look in outer appearance, he's going to put your test you into that. The devil is not like that. He doesn't test you in those areas. He will test you in your weak areas. Okay? He will attack you in your weak areas. And it will be always a sneak attack. It will be a sneak attack. And what is the reason? What is the reason? Why does Amalek attack you? Look at the last part. Because he did not fear God. He does not fear God. Imagine who is your flesh fighting with. Spirit of God. Who is he fighting with? Because he doesn't fear God. Your flesh doesn't fear God. You have to, you have to see counterfeit Christians when they get angry. Jaja! They will fight in church. They will lose it. They will lose it like anything. And then you will really realize, you know what? There is no fear of God in them. There is no fear of God in them at all. Your flesh doesn't fear God. Flesh doesn't fear God. Though the flesh is spiritual, it is not a spiritual entity like the demon, which has life of its own. My flesh cannot survive apart from me. Understand that. It doesn't have an independent existence outside my body. The demons have. So the demons know God and they tremble. My flesh doesn't. My flesh doesn't. Okay? My flesh doesn't. My flesh does not Fear God. I, I didn't write it. Hebrews 12 and verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Now look at the construction there. It is not and, it is or. So when you're talking about the fornicator over there, it's not talking about Esau. Fornicator and would be Esau. But Profane person like Esau. What is Esau? He's a profane guy. He doesn't, he's, and profanity. We talk about profanity. What is profanity? Abuse. Who are the people who abuse others? Use bad language, who curse others, are the ones who don't fear God. Fear God. They don't fear God. He's a profane person. He's, I like the NIV translation. You know what the NIV translation says? Not that he's an ungodly person. He's not an ungodly person, if I'm right, NIV, you know. He's a godless person. There's something which is ungodly. <laughs> There's something which is godless. Esau is an atheist. He doesn't fear God. Remember the judge who neither fears man or near fears God. He's a godless person. My flesh is godless. He does not recognize God. He does not recognize the authority of God. He doesn't fear God. And he resists God. He resists God. And you know what happens? He will contend with your spirit. Contend with your spirit. And the flesh has to be put down. You cannot, you cannot allow flesh room. And he attacks from behind. He catches you by surprise. The devil attacks you from the front. But the flesh attacks you from behind. Look at, look at, uh, look at David falling. <laughs> Right? The world was in front of him. That is Bathsheba. But she had no clue. But he was attacked. Sneak attack. All he was was little weary tired. Oh, I fought too many battles. I don't want to go for this. That was all. It was a sneak attack. 
he had never even thought in his mind, this is going to be the result of being lazy. It was a sneak attack. He was caught unawares. He was caught unawares. Okay, and that's what happens. Okay, flesh attacks you from behind when you are struggling in your spiritual walk, when you are weary, no, when you are weary, when you are tired, and the fellow who attacks your flesh, he does not fear God. He does not fear God at all. And God's solution, Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some, as some men go out and fight with Amalek. God says, you have to fight your flesh. Fight Amalek. You have to fight Amalek. And tomorrow what will I do? Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. What does Moses say? Tomorrow. Listen, every word is important over here if you want to, if we ask, if we have to overcome our flesh. One, you have to fight your flesh. Fight your flesh. Second, Moses will stand. Not that he will stand. He will stand on the top of the hill. Three, with the rod of God in my hand. Top of the hill. Okay, let's look at that. Mark chapter 4, verse 37 and 38. He came, and this is Jesus, his last hour. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does he say? He doesn't say pray. He says watch and pray. So where is Moses? Moses is on the top of the hill. He's not just praying. He's just not interceding. He's watching and interceding. That is why the position is important. Where is Moses? On the top of the hill. The question is, in your prayer life, do you watch? If you look at most prayers in most churches I've heard, there is no watching at all. People simply just pray. They have no clue what is happening. 90% of the world in the church has no clue what is happening and what is coming. They simply pray. And most churches only pray, our Father who art in heaven, they're like a parrot, they recite this and say Amen and go. There's no watching, there's only prayer. If you only pray without watching, and that's what he's saying, the flesh is weak. That spirit is willing. You're not watching Peter, you're not watching. And because Peter did not, I believe he prayed, and then he fell asleep, he didn't watch. Because he did not watch and pray, you will see he will, he will, Deny Jesus so terribly. You know, because, not that he did not pray, but because he did not watch. And because he did not watch in his prayer, he fell asleep. You can't say that as soon as Jesus went, he went to sleep. No, he must have prayed. (laughs) But he went to sleep, he did not watch. And watching is important. That is the position of Moses. The question is, are you watching? Are you watching? When you are fighting your flesh, are you watching? Are you assessing your enemy? Are you assessing your weaknesses? Are you assessing whether you are tired? Are you taking a good spiritual inventory of your own life? That is what we are doing. 2020, did you take a good inventory? Mark chapter 6, 13, 33 to 37. Take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. He says, you have no clue when I will come. You have no idea. Watch, watch, watch out, watch in, watch out, watch in. Watch the way the world is changing. Know your word, look at the world in the eyes of the word. I said, when I come, 
Tuck, 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 I gave you. I warned you, deception, words, rumors of words, pestilences. I warned you of all kind of things. These are the beginnings of the labor pains. Okay, a woman can be pregnant for many, many months, but when the labor pains begin, you know it's just a question of hours. It's no longer a question of months. It's no longer a question of weeks. It's not even a question of days. It's a question of hours. So Jesus said, when these things happen, you know the labor pains have begun. And we saw in 2020 something that has never happened in 2000 years and we know the labor pains are here. And God says, are you watching? You watch and pray. It's like a man going into a far country who left his house, gave authority to his servants to eat his work, commanded the doorkeeper to watch. <laughs> Look at each, each verse. This is the third time. Watch. Therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, what? Watch. He says, the important part is not just praying. He says, the important part is watching, because everybody prays, except for the atheists, every person in every religion prays. Their only issue is they do not know how to watch and pray. They don't watch and pray. And that's what Moses is doing. How do you fight your flesh? You have to have a vantage position where you actually are absolutely honest with yourself. This is my flesh. This is the world. This is where I am attracted to. These are my weaknesses. And you fight it. You fight it. You consciously fight it. You are fighting it. You know those areas. And you fight it. And you don't fight it in your strength. You fight it with the rod of God in your hand. With the authority and the power. So in that three verses, we saw four verses, we saw four times what is repeated. Watch, watch, watch. Watch. And where is Moses? On the top of the mountain. Ephesians chapter 6. Now people are not watchful. Even in their words, people are not watchful. Okay, people are not realized. No. If I get offended, if I get offended, because like I said, uh, fever is a symptom. Fever is not a disease. Ask Dr. Richard, he will tell you fever is not a disease. Fever is a symptom of something different. If it comes and goes, it's fine. But if it continues for two days, three days, four days, then they will say, you know what, we need to do uh, tests to know what is causing it. In the same way, anger is a symptom. Anger is a symptom. Anger is not a disease. If anger is a disease, God will not say be angry. It's like saying be sick. Okay? It's not saying, okay, be angry. But anger is a symptom. So when you are angry, when you are offended, when you are angry, immediately you need to go back and say, why was I, why was I angry? Why was I offended? What touched me? What, where did my flesh get touched? This would be only one anger which is acceptable, which is called righteous indignation, which is connected with the house of God. Meaning I tell you, if you want to get angry, get angry with yourself. Okay, angry. That's what David is angry with himself at the end, against you and you. He's not angry with anybody. No, he doesn't blame anybody. You know what? I goofed up. I goofed up big time. Okay? So when people are angry, you are angry, I'm angry, we are offended. We need to realize God is saying, you know what? I'm just showing you your flesh. 
Remember, you stand to lose a lot in eternity. Not that you lose your salvation, but you stand to lose. I told you, flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you cannot, he cannot stop you from being saved. He will try to steal your inheritance. He's a thief. This fellow is a thief. The thief comes to steal. What does he do? Using your flesh, which is in cahoots with him, because he and the flesh were buddies from long time. Before the spirit came in, they were buddies. He will use your flesh to destroy your inheritance. If he cannot stop you from entering. He couldn't stop you from leaving Egypt. Now he's trying to stop you from entering into the promised land. And he's come from behind and attacked you. He's not stopping you. He couldn't stop you from leaving Egypt. But he will do everything promised possible to see that you don't enter into the promised life of Christ Jesus. So we have to be careful. So watch. 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 Ephesians 6, 18. Let's go quickly through that. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Okay. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful. Watchful to this end with perseverance. You should be persevering in your prayer and your watchfulness. Persevere. You have to be very, meaning every watchman, you need to realize watchmen on the army, this thing, they're always moving. Why? Because they shouldn't fall asleep. <laughs> shouldn't fall asleep. They're always watching. All oh, the guys on the security cameras watching. Always watching. All because they know one, you know, all these movies where and all this, they, the intruder sneaks in. They know the searchlight goes like, and they know they only get 30 seconds or 40 seconds before the light comes back. In that 40 seconds, they sneak in through. Sneak in through. Okay? They sneak in through. And before you know, the whole containment is going up in flames because they have snuck, snuck in through. How did they do it? When the light was not on it. And God says, be watchful. Be watchful. Praying always. The next one. Colossians 4.2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, watchful, vigilant. First Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Don't be spiritually asleep, taken away either by the cares of this world. Remember the seed that did not really do good? Cares of the world. Or the deceitfulness, the pleasures of this, one or the other. Don't get carried away by these things. Be very, very careful because the world will intrude upon you. Amalek will come behind. And before you know, you have fallen asleep, spiritually fallen asleep. The next one, First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So Moses is just not sitting somewhere and praying. He's up on the mountain, standing there on the mountain, and he's very watchful in his prayers. That's why Amalek is defeated, because he's watchful in his prayers. Revelation 3, 2 and 3. Be watchful. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain. They are ready to die. <laughs> he says, you know, your faith is almost ready to flicker off. It's like the last gasp. And you're not watchful. You're not watch. You're so busy watching all the things in the world, the material, physical things that affect your life. You're so busy. Your eyes are there. You're not looking inside our church. You are about to die. Remember, therefore, have you received and heard? Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. It's not if you will not pray. It's not if you will not go to church. 
It's not if you will not fast. If you will not watch. In all this you have to be watchful. No? You have to be watchful. And the final one for that, 16, 15, Revelation. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches. If you watch, you will keep your garment. You will keep your garment. No? If you watch, you will keep your garment. If you don't watch on the day of his appearance, you will be found spiritually naked. And they will see his shame. They will see his shame. Suddenly you will realize, you know what, when you look at the glory taking place, rapture taking place, you will see glory of Christ revealed in so many lives and among them lots of people naked. No glory, nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. Think about going to what we call Berlin. East and West Berlin have become one. No, look at going to Berlin. Old one was born. Now it is East and West Berlin. But think about going to East Berlin after the second, on the Berlin after the Second World War and today. All bombed out buildings. All bombed out, burned. Ruins, blackened out buildings. No, Imagine Jesus comes up and that is how the lives of believers looks. All bombed out by the flesh. Just salvation alone. They come through the fire, that's what Corinthians says, and got burned up. You know? And the Bible talks about it. At his appearance, many of us will be what? It says, ashamed. Many of us will be joyous. And Daniel says some will be shining like stars and stars. As stars differ from glory, so will be the glory of the saints. And God says, you know what? It's not because you didn't leave Egypt. You did not fight Amalek. You did not fight Amalek. Amalek goofed you up. He's Stole everything from you because you did not recognize. You were not watchful in your prayer life. When you were praying, if you had been watchful, if you had listened, I would have spoken to you. I was speaking to you, but you were not listening. I tried telling you many times, you were not listening. When you were sitting in the church, I was trying to speak to you. But how did you speak to me? When you got offended, I was trying to tell you, this is your weak spot. This is your flesh. Somebody touched your flesh. And your reputation got marred. It is a false reputation. We don't put our trust in our reputation at all. So whenever these things happen, I was trying to speak to you. You didn't listen. You didn't listen. Watch. And second thing he has in his hand is the rod of God. It represented the power of God, the authority of God, the hand of God. It must be held high. Don't pray without this in your hand. The devil is not afraid of your prayer or my prayer. He is afraid of the word of God. The authority of God's word. Hmm? When the devil came and tempted Jesus. He said if you are the son of God. He didn't say ja ja ja. You know who I am. He didn't say that. He said it is He said it is written. It is written. It is written. The authority and the power of God. Okay, The authority comes from the word of God. The Power comes from the Spirit of God, both represented by the rod, the staff that is holding. Because it is not the rod of Moses, it is called the rod of God. So the question is, has the word of God in us become life? Has the word of God has been anointed by the Spirit of God that we can lift up and tell the devil, it is written. It is written, according to this word, I stand against you. 
I stand against you. The power and the authority of the word of God. Because every victory you and I win will be the victory of God, of not of us. It is by grace and grace alone. The foundation stone was laid by grace. The capstone also will be laid by grace. There we will not win any battle without the power and the authority of God. Otherwise we will boast, you know what, I fasted, I prayed, I watched and I reached here. God said you didn't. <laughs> you can have the best electrical equipment, everything, five star, everything and no power. And sitting with candlelight. What is the point? Nothing. Okay, a lot of people are like that. No, God says, no, no, remember the victory, the victory, the rod held high. Okay, the rod of God. That is Romans 8.31. At the end of the day, it is not my prayer, it's not my watchfulness, it's not my word life, it's none of this. What then shall we say to these things? Does not say, God is for us, who can be against us? Does it say that? What does it say? If we say in English, it's a big if. It's a big if. <laughs> okay? There's a big if there. It's not God is for us. Don't presume. Because that's what happened to the children of Israel. They got beaten up nicely. They presumed. And then in Philistines, when Hopni and Phineas went with the ark and they all shouted and the earth shook, they got beaten up. 30,000 died because they presumed. They did not check if God is for us. Is God for me? That's David. You will not go into a battle. He will all ask us, should I go? Will you give me victory? If you will not go victory, I am not picking this fight. <laughs> I am not fighting this fight. I am not fighting this fight. Okay, I am not. That's what Paul is asking. Lord, give me victory. God says, no. No? Really? You won't give me victory of my flesh? No. Lord, I think I heard it wrong. Lord, one second. No. Lord, one second. Lord, are you real? Lord, what are you saying? A messenger of Satan to afflict my flesh. You don't want to give me victory over Amalek? Yes. But why, Lord? Because there is something dangerous than Amalek. What is that? Pride. So I will keep you humble there. I will give you victory. How is that? One day at a time. I will not give you one-time victory. We want one-time victory in certain God says no. I will give you victory one day at a time. Every day you will, affliction will be there. Every day you will have to. There is one area in your life I am not going to give you victory. That is to keep you humble because I love you too much. Other areas and all, he gave him victory. Most areas in our life, he can give us a one-time victory. But if our knowledge of God increases, he may keep a finger on the scale. See, I need to keep a hand on you because I don't want you to fall away. So in this battle against flesh, in this battle against Amalek, please remember this. God is always for you. Oh Lord, if, if, if you are for me, I can win down our anger. God says, I am for you in this. Don't even ask if there. Why? Exodus 17, verse 15. What does it says? Yeah, 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 that one, that one. Because the 16, the Lord has won. Stand by your word, Lord. You have sworn the Lord will war with Amalek from generation to generation. I stand on your promise. You never have to go and ask, Lord, I'm going to fast and pray to seek your will about fighting my flesh. God says, you don't have to waste all your time with that. I am for that battle. Yeah. 
I am for that battle. I am with you in this battle. I am with you. Generation to generation till the last flesh dies. I am in this battle for you. You have to fight this battle. And how did they deal with Amalek? Verse 13. Joshua defeated Amalek with his people and his people with the edge of the sword. Meaning, show no mercy to your flesh. Don't mollycoddle it. Don't mollycoddle it. Don't be gentle with your flesh. Be gentle on your body. Harsh on your flesh. Be ruthless on your flesh. Show no kindness to your flesh. Don't show any kindness. If you show kindness to your flesh, you know what will happen? It will get stronger. And that's how you have to deal with your children. You have to be very firm with them when you know the flesh is acting up. Because if you are gentle with them, the flesh will only get stronger. You don't mollycoddle the flesh. You love the person and be very tough on the flesh that they understand the distinction. I'm loving you, the person. I'm being very tough on the flesh. And personally, ourselves also the same thing. Be very, very hard on the flesh. Kill it. You, uh, uh, I think if I am another KJV version, if I am, you don't have to go there. Discomfited it with the edge of the sword. I mean, one translation has that. Okay, edge of the sword. Show no mercy. First Corinthians nine twenty-seven. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Why did you bring the body there? Because the flesh is in the body. Flesh is in the body. So he says, you know what? I know. The container is, I cannot touch the flesh, but I can touch the body. So what do I do? I discipline my body and bring it to subjection. So that after having preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. I just don't want to be a gift that is working. I don't want to be a gift to be working. The gift is from God. I want to be the vessel that is sanctified. And the gift operates from a sanctified vessel. So he says, what is there? I am ruthless on my body. I don't allow the flesh. I mean, if you can control your body, you can control your flesh. Right? Because the flesh cannot operate without the body. If you have to get angry, you have to open your mouth. Or at least raise your eyebrows, stare at somebody, you know, your body one way or other, no, red eyes, raised eyebrows, frown on your face, something. But what if you stand cool? It's boiling inside, you know what, I am not going to let you come out of me. You know, some people, their nostrils flare and all. (laughs) I am not, I am just saying, inside the flesh is screaming, the body is absolutely under control. Absolutely under control. And you know what, after some time? The anger goes away. Anger goes away. It was never manifested. It was never allowed to come out. Never allowed to come out. Never allowed. Okay, the second step is going even more beyond. Instead of being angry, you are kind. You are kind. That is making the flesh miserable. The other one makes the flesh mad. If you want to make the flesh miserable, when the, my flesh says, shout at Peter, I go and shake his hand. Hi Peter, how are you? And the flesh is miserable now. Okay, first you make him mad. Second you make it miserable. Okay, but don't try it until you are sure. Okay, it has to be consistent. Okay, but first make the flesh mad. Now let us go how the fundamental principles. We learned these things in the past. But look, First Samuel chapter 5, words 15. One, two, three. Okay? Okay? Fifteen, fifteen. Sorry. The whatever I gave you, fifteen. Okay? Not five. Fifteen. I gave you fifteen, right? 
First Samuel 15, 1 to 3. And then 7. I, I didn't give you lots of, 15 lots are. Okay, 15 lots are there. Okay, okay. 15, 1 to 3. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint, and therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord, and come further down. Yeah, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how we ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Okay, we don't have to go into the gruesome details over there, but it's talking about the nature of the flesh. Utterly destroy. So you have to look at that portion in the Old Testament and you need to see, you need to say that I have to utterly destroy my flesh. Kill both man and woman. Infant and nursing child. What does it mean? The small things of the flesh, the tiny things of the flesh, the big things of the flesh, the tender, okay. Here we have to, how, how do we show respect to woman? Because she is a weaker vessel, right? Tender vessel. So the strong things of the flesh, the tender things of the flesh, the little things of the flesh, the tiny things of, kill them all. Don't mollycoddle them. Kill them all. Everything. Ox, sheep, camel, donkey, everything of the flesh. Destroy it all. That is God's wrath against the flesh. What did this dude do? 7 and 8. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agar, king of Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. What did he do? He took the king alive and the best portion of everything, he kept it alive. He did utterly. Rest he. And that's what we do. The, that, the king of our flesh, no? We say mango is the king of fruits, no? <laughs> okay? So we despise all the other fruits and we just eat mango. In the same way, we, what part of our flesh we don't like and all that, no? And we'll be very, very proud about, you know, I'm good this morning, I wake up at three in the morning, I study this thing, but there are certain things we all don't say. That is our agag. That is our agag. That we keep him nicely protected on side. So the things of the flesh which we ourselves don't like, we kill it. Oh, I have no issues with mammon. I don't struggle with mammon. So what you don't struggle, you have killed. That's not the point. You are just King Saul. You have kept agag alive. Now go to verse 13 and 14. Okay. Then Samuel went to Saul and, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? He says, you command? Did you really obey God to kill? But I am hearing sounds from your flesh. It's like the grumbling in your stomach. I hear it. I see it. I see it all over there. You know, I see your three inch heels. I see the color on your eyebrows, on your eyelashes. I see these big earrings which is, takes the weight of the world. I see this. I mean, I look at you. I look at you. I look at you. I don't see you anywhere different than the world. Your flesh is very strong. That's why I have issues about all these prophetic people on there. You just don't want to listen to them. The women who come pink hair, hair like this with this. Thing. I see the prophetic voice. What prophetic voice? What prophetic voice are you talking about? Imagine in the Old Testament, a prophetess came like that. They would stone them. You would stone them. What 
talking about? No. What prophetic voice are you talking about? No. It's, it's just flesh. It is just, and there's so much confusion, even about the election, there is absolute total confusion with two sets of prophets. Two sets of prophets. And there's confusion, you know why? Because of this. And he says, what is that I hear? And then, let's continue. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for people spared. The best, you see, flesh will never take responsibility. That's a problem with flesh, will never responsibility. Never take responsibility. Spare the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Not my God. Your God. The rest we have told it. He immediately makes a compromise. You know, I brought it to sacrifice. Why did you buy this? Why did you buy, why did you spend so much on this to wear it to church? Silly, very sanctimonious. No, I bought it to wear it to church. I thought Christmas was coming and then last night service is there, so I bought this new. Why do you need this for Christmas and last night service? I thought you were supposed to be praying. You went shopping. No, I I did it for the Lord. Excuses people make. How flesh can be very sanctimonious. You need to understand that, okay? And then let's go farther down. And Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. <laughs> is this the prophet to the king? Be quiet. <laughs> That is how you have to speak to your flesh. Shut up. Your spirit is the prophetic voice of God. How do you speak to your flesh? Shut up. You are not king. You are not king. You are not king. You will not speak to me. I speak to you. That is what he says. I bring my body to subjection. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over? He says, when your flesh was very weak, that was when we were picked. Now your flesh has become very strong. Very, very strong. In your own eyes. Flesh was not very big. Because when you made king, you look back, there's nothing to look back. All you have to look back is donkeys. You are a keeper of donkeys. You have no reputation, no name, nothing at all. Okay, so you are good. Anointing worked. Now after a couple of years, anointing, trumpets, two victories, this thing and some titles and all have been added. Now nobody can speak to you. Now we are preacher, you are prayer warrior, you are this thing. Nobody can speak to you. Beyond correction. That's our problem. The danger is once we have walked a little into Christendom and we have received some gifts here and there, God says, can I still speak to you? Can you be spoken to? This is the most dangerous place a human being in Christendom reaches a place where nobody can speak to you. Nobody can speak to you. I am not accountable. They are headless creatures. They have no head. They have no head. And God says, do you know? And that's the nature of the flesh. When the flesh takes over the anointing, this is the danger. You were anointed, but the anointing has been captured by the flesh. It is not on the spirit now. It is not on the new man now. The anointing, because you see, the new man and the old man both operate through the same body. Right? So the anointing came on your head. I mean, symbolically, it came on the whole. What happened? In the beginning, the new man was running well. Little time later, flesh sneaked in and he took over the body. Now the body is running under the anointing, but this old man that is running. 
And every time he has a spiritual victory, he is blowing the trumpet. Isn't that what he did? Blow the trumpet. Saul has killed. But it is Jonathan who actually is fighting. But Saul has killed. On the way back, build a memorial to himself. This is my victory. Who has taken the over the anointing? His flesh. And God will not allow it. God will not allow the flesh to take over the anointing. He will destroy the flesh. And the anointing will destroy the flesh. And that's what God is talking about. Further down. Yeah. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go utterly and destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. So what causes you to sin? Your flesh. You want to destroy sin in your life? You have to destroy flesh in your life. I want to destroy sin. God says, leave it alone. Just destroy your flesh. Sin will be gone. That's why in heaven there is no flesh. Penalty of sin. Power of sin. Presence of sin. In heaven there is no presence of sin at all. Because there is no flesh. And the demonic entity has been locked up forever in the lake of fire. And all flesh has gone with them down there. Okay? Destroy the sinners. Meaning destroy your flesh. The Amalaka. Fight against them. Till when? Until they are consumed. How long should you fight your flesh? Until it is consumed. Until it is consumed. That's what the Bible is talking about. Come further down. Because we are looking at the second enemy, the biggest enemy, the most dangerous enemy. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Okay. The Lord said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Aga, king of Amalek. Still the flesh is contending. Still not. Still not, still arguing. No, no, I did. I did. I still did. I did. And look at verse. But the people, now he's blaming the people. I mean, how can the king blame the people? It is like the fellow, you know, he argued in his this thing, you know, he said, uh, in the court, he said, I did not steal. The judge said, you did not steal. He said, no, I did not steal. Then my hands fell. <laughs> That's what the king is saying. <laughs> I did not steal my hands. The judge said, really? Your hand stole? Okay, cut his hand off. <laughs> he said, no, 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 I stole. I said, okay. So your hand is part of you, right? Part of you, right? That's what he's saying. You're the king, right? You're the king, right? You're the king, right? You're saying the people. Okay, look at the important verses there. Come further down. And Samuel said, Has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? So did you listen to my voice? What did I tell you? To utterly destroy sin. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. And come. When you feed, the next one is important. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. What is he saying? If you and I feed our flesh, we are becoming a rebel. We are becoming stubborn. And we are opening ourselves to witchcraft and idolatry. That's the nature of the flesh. Okay. The flesh, the flesh operates on witchcraft. Sorcery affects the flesh. It receives sorcery affects. Let me look at you. Okay. So what is idolatry? I wrote it down here in another page. Idolatry is anything that you love more, trust more, fear more, and serve more than God. Idolatry is anything that you love more, trust more, fear more, and serve more than God. And God says, you know what? 
Remember Pastor Vijay is saying, our flesh is an idol factory. It's an idol factory. Not only that, it is where sorcery operates. Witchcraft operates on the flesh. Operates on the flesh. Therefore, God says, show no mercy to your flesh. Okay, And because Saul showed mercy to the Amalekites, allowed his flesh to rule, where does he end? Before a witch. Before a witch. Before the sorcerer. Goes into sorcery and ends up dead in the hands of the Philistines. You know why? Because he did it. That's why we have to put, because you see, the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit. Sorcery speaks to our flesh. And God says, put it at your flesh. Because there is sorcery, witchcraft going on 24 seconds against God's people. And don't allow them to operate through you, affect you, kill your flesh. Because if you feed it, it will destroy you. If you feed your flesh, ultimately it will destroy you. And the end of Saul is very clear. His body is stuck to the wall of the Philistines and they take his head away. That is his end. But you look at his downfall, you will see from witchcraft to demonic, no, rebellion to idolatry to the demonic and distressing spirit to murderous spirit and then witchcraft and sorcery and death in the hands of the enemy. That is Saul. But where did he begin? And what if you look at Saul's thing, what was his only mistake? He did not put to death his flesh. That's the only mistake. It's not that he fell, but he never got up. David fell. He got up and put his flesh to death. That is the only thing. And God says, remember Amalek. He is sneaky. He will come after you from behind. He will attack you and he will destroy you. You have to fight Amalek till the end. Until he is consumed. We have to fight our flesh until it is consumed. And God is for us. God is for us. Know the way. Stand in a position where you can see clearly. Stand with God in the high places. Look down. He will show you your flesh because he sees it better than you. And don't fight it in your own strength. Fight it with the power and the authority of God. And watch and pray. And fight it and kill it. Put it to death. Okay. Let's look at another pattern. Esther chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. And then 5 to 6. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agagite. Suddenly, see, this is what happens. This Amalek will pop up everywhere. This fellow has come up and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were with the king's gate bowed and paid to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. And the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them, but they told it to Haman that to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. The question is, God says, are you a Jew? You are a Jew? You are Yehudi? Who praises God? Whose praise is from God? You don't bow to flesh. Are you a Jew? Are you a Jew? The king's command is the ruler of this world's command is there. Bow to flesh. Mordecai says, I'm a Jew. I don't bow to flesh. That's a spiritual meaning. That's a spiritual meaning. Do you bow to the flesh? 
And the Jew says, I don't bow to flesh. I only bow to Christ. I only bow to the Spirit. I don't listen to the voice of the flesh. I only listen to the voice of the Spirit. I don't bow to the voice of the flesh. I don't hearken to the voice of the flesh. In verse 5 and 6, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. When the flesh sees that you do not listen to its voice, whether it is your flesh or it is another flesh, it could be a father, it could be a mother, it could be a wife, it could be a husband, it could be your children, it could be anybody in your flesh and blood. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about your own flesh and blood. They are filled with wrath. Because you don't bow to there. No? You should be listening to me. But that's the voice of the flesh. You know it's the voice of the flesh. It's not the voice of your father or your mother. It's the voice of flesh. And you just ignore that voice. You say, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Because this is flesh speaking. Because if you listen to the flesh, whether it is from your father or your mother or your spouse or your children, you are in trouble. And it happened to everybody of them. Whether it was Abraham or Eli or David or you, Sarah, or you listen to the voice of flesh. It doesn't matter which vessel it comes from. You, if you are a Yehudi, somebody whose praise is from God, who wants praise from God, bow down to the voice of flesh. You will see they are filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hold hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai instead. Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. When flesh is angry, it does not just come against you, it comes up against everything that belongs to you. They just don't want to destroy you, they want to destroy your church also. Which church do you go to? Which church do you go to? Who's your pastor? Before you know, they are bad-mouthing you, they are slandering you, they are killing you, they are destroying you, everything. They will do that. The whole nine yards they go. It's not satisfied with destroying you alone. They want to destroy you, your whole people. That's what it says. Whole people. Because that's the nature of the flesh. The enemy doesn't come after just individuals. Amalekite came after the entire nation of Israel. It comes after the entire church. So you have to be very, very careful. Okay, very, very careful. So what should you do? Chapter 6, verse 10 to 12. Then king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe. Remember, the king was one day casually, God is interviewing all this, okay? And he says, hey! He heard, he heard about how Mordecai had saved the king's life and nothing was done to him. You know the story, okay? So I'm speaking to people who know the story. So he called Haman. Hurry, take the robe. And he asks Haman, and what should be done to this man? Haman had no clue it was Mordecai. So he thought it is me. That's always, flesh is always think it is me. Whenever you talk about, pastor said, hey, somebody did a great job. Everybody's flesh, he's talking to talk about me. <laughs> okay. The spiritual man will always think it is not me. Must be somebody else. I am sure it's not me. It's somebody. But the flesh, everybody's flesh has said, no, pastor will call up by name. No, call up by name. This is why it happened to me when he was very young in the Lord. Go for this big Christmas program sitting over there thinking, now the pastor will come and say, the spirit of the Lord told me last night, there is a young man sitting in the congregation. His name is James. He will come and give the message. Nothing like that ever happened. Okay. Because your flesh is always so, this thing, no. That is it. Haman thought, oh, it's me. Who else can it be other than me? And the king said, no. He said, this is what she should burn, new robe, new this thing, everything, and in the hordes and should be taken through the city. And the king said, yeah, that's a very good idea. So he said, it is Mordecai. 
Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Look at verse. So Haman took the robe and horse, arrayed Mordecai, led him on the horse back through the city square, proclaimed him, thus shall it be shut done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And verse 12, afterward Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Mordecai hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. So what should you do to your flesh? Humiliate your flesh. Learn to humiliate your flesh. Humiliate your flesh. That's what you should do, you know. Peter is, I'm angry with Peter. Okay, instead of Peter, but, um, you know, your flesh is telling, this is the time to really give it back. You need to have some honor, give it back. Instead of telling, hi Peter, I'm really sorry, okay, if I said something. You know what, I humiliate my flesh, goes back with his head covered. I wanted you to give it to him, instead you went and was kind to him. Humiliate your flesh, don't feed your flesh. Humiliate your flesh. Humiliate it. How do you deal with your this thing? The flesh is out to destroy you and all your people. What you should do to your flesh? Humiliate your flesh. Next one. 7.10 So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai and the king's wrath was subsided. If you want God's wrath subside, what should you do? You have to hang. You have to destroy destroy your flesh. Then king's wrath is subsided. If you want God's wrath subsided against your flesh, what do you do? Hang your flesh. Destroy your flesh. Kill your flesh. And God's wrath is subsided. And he will be very happy. King's wrath will be subsided. Kill your flesh. Hang your flesh. Destroy your flesh. Don't allow it. Humiliate your flesh. Step one. Second one. Destroy Haman, the strong man. Destroy him. It's not enough. Third one, Esther 9, 12 to 14. The king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed, destroyed 500 men in Sushan, the citadel, and 10 sons of Haman. What they have done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to your, what is your father's request? It shall be done. Esther said, if it pleases the Lord, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Sushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree, and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done and the decree was issued in Sushan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. So your steps is there. What is the first step? Refuse to bow down to flesh. You are a Yehudi. You are a spiritual Jew. Your heart has been circumcised by the Spirit of God. You love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Proof of it, refuse to bow down to flesh. Second thing, humiliate the flesh. Third thing, destroy the flesh. Fourth thing, destroy everything remaining of the flesh. Fifth thing, hang it in public. Hang it in public. What does it mean? It is the death of yourself. Hang it in public. When you go out in the public, there is no self. Yourself has been hung in the public. Are you getting the picture? So what is Haman trying to do? To kill all the Jews. What are the enemy coming to do? To steal, to kill, to destroy. Please remember, like President Trump keeps on saying, they are not after me, they are after you. I am just on the way. 
am in the way. What is the agenda of the leftist agenda? They are not after him. They are after the church. And what do they want in the church? They want to destroy the church and remove every vestige of the American Christian heritage from the face of the earth. That is what they are coming. Not just to steal, not just to kill, but to destroy. And that is what the devil is after. The devil is always after to destroy the testimony of Christ. And as long as there is flesh, there is no testimony. That's why we have to destroy, destroy. Okay, so we need to understand. If we don't deal with flesh, the flesh will deal with us. And three terrible times, David had to go through that. First time is when he feared and went into the camp of the flesh. Remember, Philistine came and God had to burn Ziklag down. What he built during the flesh, he burned it down. God burned it down. Second time, you remember, with Bethsheba, God's answer, you know, I will destroy your flesh. Your flesh I will destroy. I will keep, you know. What will I do? I will allow a sword to go through your flesh. His children started dying one after another. And the sword is going through his flesh. He's keeping his flesh dead. And the third time is when pride comes and he counts his men. And you know God, the hand of God comes upon him. You know what happens? He destroys his pride. 70,000 of the mighty men of Israel die. When the hand, the king's account will say the hand of God. Second Samuel twenty four fifteen will say, the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from morning till appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba. Seventy thousand people died because of your pride, because you allowed flesh to rise up. Because you are a king, so your flesh rise up. You counted your strength. God said, kill seven. You counted. I'm gonna you. You said plus plus plus. I'm going to do minus 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 so that you will not walk in your flesh. It's interesting if you re- read the record in Chronicles. It does not say the Lord sent a plague. It says the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord. Okay, the sword went through. The Amalekites was the sword of the Lord which burned down Amalekites. The sword of the Lord went through his family and the sword of the Lord went through his nation. You know why? Because flesh rose. Flesh rises. He says you will pay a big price. You'll pay a big price. So he says, learn to put to death your flesh. Put to death. Because we are on the journey wherever we are in the promised land. And who stands in the way? Amalek stands in the way in you and me. The victory is God-given. Please remember that again. Moses can pray all day long. Joshua can fight all day long. But it is the rod of God that brings the victory. Okay, that's why Jesus said, you want to be my witness? Receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive my power. And then you will be my witnesses. When I am the witness of Christ, it is not the witness of flesh. It is the witness of the Spirit. For that I need power. That's why he goes up to the high place. He watches. But what happens? The people we will think is looking at Moses. No, they're looking at the rod. That is the vantage. Higher than Moses' hands. Higher than everything else is the rod of God. That is, that's why just be lifting God up. That's where our victory comes from. Don't put your trust in anything. This is something which... And go back to Galatians, Galatians 5.16. And read it carefully and listen carefully, okay? Read it carefully, listen carefully. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen carefully because we can, we can read it and understand it completely differently. 
Whenever you read sentences like this, verses like this, you need to read and see what it does not say. It does not say, if you do not walk in the flesh, then you can walk in the spirit. That's not what it says. Oh, I will not walk in the flesh. That's not what it says. It says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not walk in the flesh. The minute the flesh is very smart. The flesh is very smart. It, 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 it is... It's, it's, the heart of flesh is deceitful above everything. He looks at the verse and he said, watching on that verse and he says, oh, oh, this fellow has got, got some truth. Now he's coming after me. He will say, you know what to do? Don't walk in the flesh. Then you can walk in the spirit. That's not what the Bible says. Then what is happening? The strength is mine. I will not walk in the flesh. I will not walk in the flesh. But I'm not walking in the spirit either. I'm not winning. The flesh is sitting there and laughing while you think you're very spiritual. God said, that's not what I said. I said, walk in the spirit and you will not walk in the flesh. I did not say, don't walk in the flesh and immediately you will start walking in the spirit. Then you are the beginning of the faith, not me. I said, I am the author of the faith and the finisher of the faith. So it does not begin with me. It begins with him. I say then, walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill. Okay. Walk in the spirit and you will not, is what he is saying. Meaning, let me explain to you in, in different ways. Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Do you get it? Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Righteousness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to... He did not say, seek ye first the, his righteousness. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is Christ. Christ. Christ is the way to righteousness. Righteousness is not the way to Christ. Okay, Holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill. Okay, So we put the other way around. We put what you do? We put the cart in front of the horse. And after that, you know what? We are struggling. We are struggling for the right thing, the wrong way. We are forever pushing with our head the cart. God said, no, that's not what I said. I said the spirit first. The spirit will pull you. The spirit will lead you. Do not walk in the spirit. If he says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill. Because these are all mysteries. There are two mysteries you need to understand. Second Thessalonians 2, 7 and 1 Timothy 3. For the mystery of lawlessness. There is one mystery. Another mystery, 1 Timothy 3.16. With our controversy, the mystery of godliness. There are two mysteries. The mystery of iniquity is this. The mystery of iniquity is that, you know what? The flesh is leading the world. And people have no clue. Flesh is the hotbed of iniquity. And the mystery of iniquity, iniquity is getting worse and worse and worse. But if you look at people and say, everybody looks good, Suit, coat, sub, papena, hey, everybody looks good. But the mystery of iniquity is at work. The other side, the mystery of godliness at work. What's the difference? One is walking in the flesh, the other is walking in the spirit. There are two mysteries that is taking place. You will only see from heaven's point of view. Outside everything looks okay. But that's not the truth. There's a mystery that is happening on earth. There's a division that is taking place. The mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness. One, the flesh is walking. Empowered by the devil. The other, the spirit of man is in control. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Two are working. One is the spirit of the world. The other is the spirit of God. And that's what God is talking about. So everything can be tainted by flesh. My worship can be tainted by flesh. 
My service can be tainted by flesh. My prayer can be tainted by flesh. And the problem is God will not accept anything from us except from the Christ in us. He will not accept anything from us. So the answer is die to flesh. Die to flesh. Matthew 16, 24. Okay? Come back. And Jesus said to his disciples, anyone desires to come after me, first thing, he has to deny himself, his, his old nature. He has to deny that. Second, he has to take up his cross. Another version will say, another place will say daily. Meaning, you have to die to that every day. And third thing, he has to follow me. Every day. And how will you know? Every day God will allow provocation on your flesh. He'll allow. Otherwise, how will you know? Hmm? How will you? If you pinch a leper, will you react? No. He will not react. But if I pinch you, you will react. So how do you know whether you are a leper in the flesh? That you are absolutely dead in your flesh? When somebody pinches you, somebody touches you, are you provoked? Are you provoked? That is the coin. Because the flesh will only accept one thing. What is that? Flattery. You have to tell, you are the best preacher, you are the best cook, you are the best, the best, the best, the best, the best. That is all a man of flesh. Flattery. As Vijay said, flattery. Why was he so upset? I mean, he should be the happiest man because, boy, Philistines have run away. Goliath has been killed. Instead, he's upset. Why? Women sang a song. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Oh, they attributed more to David than to me. What a shallow fellow. What a empty, shallow fellow. That's the greatest danger. If your flesh is strong, do you know what it means? You are shallow. You're, you may be an intellectual giant and a spiritual pygmy. You may be an intellectual giant. That is irrelevant in the kingdom of God. But spiritually you are a baby. You are a baby. That is all. A baby. This is to be the day of celebration. Why? Philistines have gone. Goliath has been defeated by a young boy in my army. I am telling the Philistines, this is what we can do. We didn't even have to send up the best of our soldiers. I didn't have to even summon my army. I didn't have to send a regiment. One boy will do. Should I have been glo- giving glory to God and celebrating? Instead, he said, you know what? Did you listen to the women's song? Shallow, empty fellow. That's our flesh. That's our flesh. That's what we need to realize. How do we? That's why God will send provocations. Provocations. And how do we react to the provocations? We will know how Amalek is. Amalek is. And our flesh know how to pick those words, especially in husband-wife relationship, family relationships. Every word in that sentence is measured in the scales of the flesh. Measured. Every word is measured. How was dinner? Okay. Tone is measured. How did he say okay? You didn't like it? I didn't say anything. I said okay. Yesterday also he said okay. But yesterday when he said he said okay. Today he said okay. Measured. So my cooking is not good. Did he eat anything from outside? I know Jasanti, you know, sits next to you on the did she bring her tiffin? Did she share her tiffin? A power one okay has gone to where to where because flesh is measuring. This is how it happens. 
You have to realize what happens in homes. Okay. David has, they have praised David. They did not praise me. And then flesh comes in, offense comes in. Okay. Then tomorrow, you know what? Flesh is activated. Not to cook less, to cook more. <laughs> he said, okay, yesterday I will show him. I am better than okay. <laughs> is the carpenter like that? No, going on, cooking everything. Next day, poor fellow is coming from office. He's walked over. Sixteen dishes are ready. He's wondering what happened. Is it your birthday? Did I miss your anniversary? No. <laughs> no, it's not my birthday. It's not my anniversary. It's not my mother's birthday also. What happened? Nothing. No, it is yesterday. Is okay. I will show you I am not okay. <laughs> I am better than okay. The activity of the flesh. I'm using a simple kitchen example. That you take it to your workplace, you take it anywhere you want. <laughs> anywhere you want. No? Okay, how do people you have to be very careful with flesh, no? If you're a you have a driver who is fleshly, you should never compliment him or depis, uh, say he's a bad driver. Because the next day he drives he will show you he's a good driver. <laughs> you think I'm a bad driver? It was six weeks ago you told him, but you were getting into his car six weeks later. He wanted to prove a lesson. I'm a good driver. Because he hasn't forgot. Because you touched his flesh. Because his entire life is around the four wheels. I am a driver. And Saab said, I'm not a good driver. I'll show him next time he gets into my car how good I am. So many drivers have gone. Sometimes your heart is in your mouth. You're going to preach. By the time you reach the church, all your sermon is gone. Because you're sitting on the edge of the car. Because this fellow will come two inches. <laughs> I am trying to think about this thing. No, I can handle it. I said, you can handle it. I can't handle it. <laughs> you touch this flesh, is gone. I have to prove that how much control I have on these hairpins. You don't know, flesh rules this world. Flesh rules. You look at our BM. No? China is at the border. Pandemic is there. Lockdown is there. Everything. Oh, oh, some people in the opposition is trying to teach me democracy. Is that the problem in India? But Congress said in two statements, is that what is bothering you? This country is going to the dogs. There is no job here. Everything is in recession. The country, half the country is shit. China is knocking at every doorway. And what are you worried about? Congress statement. That's what you are worried about. Headlines. Congress is trying to teach me democracy. Yeah, what the problem of the country is? You are in charge of this country. What are you thinking of? Think about it. You know how flesh, at the top till the down, flesh is ruling. That is all. And think into our own personal lives. Think into our own person. How do we react? Because these things are important. Very, very, very important. So God says, first thing, deny your, don't put it in one word, yourself. Don't put it that way. Put it, divide it into two and make it into capital letters. Deny yourself, yourself. Second thing, pick up your cross. That's not enough. Follow me. Follow me. Okay, follow me. Otherwise, what will happen? He says, you will be in trouble. You will be in trouble. Flesh will rule. It has happened to every man in the Bible. As I close, next 10 minutes I shall close. I will show the big man, the father of faith. Okay, Genesis 11.31 Don't complain the message is too long. Next year I will make it short. (laughs) Just two days. (laughs) 
Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. They came to Haran and dwelt there. Now you know Acts chapter 7. Did I give it to you? He said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. What did he tell him? Get out of your country, from your relatives, come to the land, I will show you. Now you go back to the first previous one. Okay. Terah took his son Abraham. So, Abraham's story begins like this. Flesh is leading Abraham. Who's leading? Flesh is leading Abraham. That's why he settled in Haran. He never entered the promised land. Why? What is leading you? Flesh is leading. Is your father part of the call? No. When you Allah asked to leave your father behind because he doesn't believe? No, I will take him along. So father is leading. What is leading? Flesh is leading. Next one. 12, 13. Hmm? Please say you are my sister. Now he has entered the promised land. Famine has come. Everybody is going to Egypt. You are also going to Egypt. Please say you are my sister. That it may be well for your sake that I may live. Because it's not well for your sake. No, you will go to the harem, but please, my sake. No, what is this called? Preservation of the flesh. Led by the flesh to the preservation of the self, the flesh. That is. Okay, next verse. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Why? Because you sold your integrity. What is this? Prosperity of the flesh. It's all flesh. This is the father of faith. So he also went through this process. So we need to learn how, what happens when. First you are led by the flesh. Second you are preserving your flesh. Now you are prospering in the flesh. This has got nothing to do with the spirit. And next one, 13.7. And when they came down, there is strife between herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and herdsmen of Lord's livestock and Canaanites and Perizzites who dwelt in the land. What is that? This is the conflict of flesh. Flesh is fighting flesh. Both are believers. They are not praying for each other. They're not encouraging each other. They're not exhorting each other. They're fighting with each other. And both are believers. And what is watching? All flesh is watching. Canaanites and parasites. Boxing ring may come here. Uncle Lot and Batija, no? Huh? Ah, Batija. Uh, Batija. Uncle Abraham and nephew Lot. They're people. Okay. Boxing ring. And who's watching? Flesh. Flesh is fighting flesh between two believers and all of flesh is watching. Conflict of the flesh. The next one. They took Lot, Abraham's brother's son who dwelt in Sodom. This is chapter 14 of what happens over there. What is this? You are taken captive because of your flesh. Why were you taken captive? Because of your flesh. Next one. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael live before you. Because in chapter 15 what you have, you have a promise. A promise to the uncrucified flesh. Flesh is not crucified. Promise to the uncrucified flesh. And in chapter 16, what happens? Flesh meets flesh and births Ishmael. It's all flesh. In chapter 16, what is he praying for? Lord, that you may bless my flesh. Who is Ishmael? Your flesh. What is Isaac? Your spirit. Bless, bless my flesh. And then, yeah. Next one. They give you... And this is, Sarah says, you have to throw out Ishmael. It's very distressing to the flesh. Your flesh is, it's not your spirit is distressed. Your flesh is distressed. <coughs> you know, you get distressed when your daddy, mommy, husband says, get rid of that, get rid of that. Oh no. 
you don't know how much I invested in it. Get rid of it. I watched over it all these years. Get rid of it. What is that? The distress of the flesh. So if I were to put you over there, in chapter 17, you have the intercession for the flesh. In chapter 20, you see succumbing to the flesh. He tells Abimelech, she is my sister. In chapter 21, it is the distress of the flesh. It's only when he reaches chapter 22, the crucifixion of the flesh takes place. When did he start the journey? In Genesis chapter 11. How many years have passed by? Nobody knows. When he entered the promised land, he was 75. Let us say at 60, God spoke to him. Okay, And at 120, he took Isaac and um, um, tied him onto the altar. So 60 years, he's still walking in the flesh, fighting with his flesh. Just giving a speculative number. Okay, speculative number. So what does the book of James say? Did I give that? No? Oh, I didn't give it? That's okay. Okay, James chapter 3, 21 to 23. What happens to his flesh at the end? That is Genesis 22 when he goes up to Mount Moriah, when he ties him up over there. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You are deceiving yourself. Because the flesh is deceiving you. And not one one, not one one. Uh, sorry, not chapter one, chapter uh, three. Okay, chapter three. Okay, the one was also apt only. <laughs> okay, chapter three. Yeah, same thing, 22 on Chapter 3 or is it chapter 2? Must be chapter 2. Where it takes him up the mountain. Yeah, yeah chapter 2. Not 3. Okay. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works faith was made perfect? What is happening? Yeah. Come further down. And scripture was fulfilled. Scripture has to be fulfilled. Scripture was spoken. Abraham believed in God and he was considered righteous. It's not fulfilled yet. It has to be fulfilled. Which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for right. How many years ago it was said? And he was called the friend of God. And next verse. And what does it say? You see that a man is justified by works and by not faith alone. And come further down. Yeah. Likewise. Oh. We. We. We missed it. No, we did not miss it. Yeah, verse 23. It is chapter uh, 2, 23. Yeah. Okay, just go over there. We missed something over there. Yeah. Abraham believed God. Scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And there is another verse also there which says... Okay, verse call, you see, please don't by what you fade. Okay, uh, verse 22. Verse 20, go to verse 22. Because there's something over there, I don't want to miss, miss it for the new believers. Verse 22. You see, faith was working together with his works, and by his works, faith was made perfect. When his faith was made perfect, you know what has happened? Flesh is dead. Flesh is dead. No flesh there. He takes his only son. Ties him up on the altar, lips up his knife, and God says, your flesh is dead. Your faith has been made perfect. The spirit has completely come out on his own, untouched by flesh. 
and is considered righteous. That scripture that was spoken on to us, the day we believed on Jesus Christ, what happened? He said, you are righteous. The righteous act is fulfilled or perfected on the day flesh dies. This is the end of flesh. Amalek has been consumed in Abraham's life. It is finished. It is done. Okay? So, as we close, please don't be part of the mixed multitude. Flesh and spirit. You know flesh and spirit? No. One day they will cry for manna. Next day they will cry for meat. That is a mixed culture. One day they will say, hail Jesus. Next day they will say, nail him. One day hail him. Next day, nail him. This is the mixed multitude. It's the mixed multitude. Because Satan is a very religious character. It's a very religious character. The first temptation, because the flesh likes religion. Spirit only goes by faith. Faith comes from hearing. Faith, spirit only goes by faith. Flesh is very religious. The first temptation in the garden is religious. What is that? If you eat, you will be like? That is religious. What is the pursuit of every man to become like? The temptation is religious. The first murder is over religion, over sacrifice, over an offering. The flesh is very religious. Don't think the flesh is atheist. Oh, it is very religious. Your religious works will only increase. But the works of faith are completely different. When Uzziah became strong and mighty, his religious work increased. He went into the temple and he said, I'm not satisfied with doing what kings do. I want to do the priest's job also. And God struck him down with leprosy. So please be understand this. We will think that my flesh, it opposes the spirit of God. That means it is irreligious. No, it is very religious. I will show I can do better than you. I can sing better than you. I can worship more than you. I can also start a church on my own. It becomes very religious. It's in competition with the spirit. When it says it contends with the spirit, it means it competes with the spirit in religious things. So be very, very careful about it. Do not bring your flesh into God's kingdom. God will not accept it. God will not accept it. This is the spirit of Cain. This is So you know what happens in the kingdom of God. There are lots of vagabonds. Why you know? Because they are trying to offer God flesh. And God says, no flesh. No flesh. No flesh. That is the danger. And as I close, the final verse today is Jude 1, 23. You know what it is? Even when you are trying to save people, some people you have to shave them, save them with a close hand, with compassion, making a very clear distinction. Some people you have to save them with a 21-foot pole far away. That is verse 23. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by their flesh. Stay a little far away and save them. Don't get too close. Okay, It will not work, it will take you a long time. Don't waste your time with them. Waste time with them. Okay? Time with them. Don't waste your time with them. No? I tell people. Okay? Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time. It's flesh. I said, it's no point praying. It's no point counseling. You know why? Because they're Egyptians. <laughs> Counsel of the word is for Israelites. What are you counseling Egyptians with the word of God? Every reaction is back. It's flesh only. That's the point counseling them. It's only flesh. Okay. 
So you need to ask ourselves, in this journey of these 12 months, where am I, O Lord? Where am I, O Lord? The questions we have to ask. In this journey, where I am? And God is kind. Still three days, two days, 29, half of 29, 30, 31, two and a half days still left. And in this battle, you don't have to ask. You don't have to ask if God is for you. He is for me. Because from generation to generation, what happens? God fights the Amalekites. And when he fights, what does he want to do? He wants to utterly destroy them. He wants to consume them. Not only publicly hang them out to say that my flesh is dead. How does that happen? When you go out and when you, like I said, you have to only carry your cross. The hammer and the nails are provided on the way. And when somebody hammers you with the nail, you will realize nothing happens. You're not even touched. You're not even moved. Not only that, you go the extra level. That is Jesus on the cross. Literally on the cross. We think his body is crucified. His flesh also is crucified. They're mocking him, screaming him, abusing him, scorning him. What is he doing? Praying for them. He's untouched. If you are the son of God, come down. This fellow saved everybody. and Nothing. No reaction at all. Instead, Father, for do not know what they are doing. And this fellow is screaming, this fellow is screaming. Then one fellow stops and he prays and he's busy getting him into the kingdom. Flesh is not operative at all. We see his body hanging on the cross. No. There were two crosses there. One was the cross on which his flesh was crucified. And the cross on which we hung his body. And the spirit was active. Actively working on the cross. Forgiving people so they could come into the kingdom of God. Forgiving and receiving another man into paradise at the same time. And through it all the flesh was dead. Absolutely dead. Flesh was dead. So we see only one cross on Calvary. There were two crosses. One was on which his flesh was crucified. Which he had carried all his life. The second one on which we gave him. The body he was crossed. And the Bible says the second one. You boast in it to die to the world. The first one, you apply that cross into your life daily. Pick up your cross daily and you what? You win over your flesh. So we have dealt with two enemies. The third one, once you have dealt with these two, you know what? It's very easy to deal with the devil. Because the Bible says about Jesus, the ruler of this world has come and he found nothing in so you can now, not resisting the devil, you are now fighting the devil on the behalf of others. You are not fighting, oh, this fellow is coming. No, you are binding, you are losing, you are spoiling, you are delivering others. So that is a different form of spiritual warfare. It's not your personal struggle. You are struggling for the sake of, uh, like Ephesus. You are struggling and fighting for the sake of others. That is to what the church is called. Amen? Let us pray. Father, this morning, once again, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I pray your children will listen to yesterday's, today's messages, Lord. Oh, Father, so that we all, Lord, will look into at various stages in our lives. It's, it's a mixture, Lord. It's not that it's a clear, definitive marker we have in our lives. Some areas are still in Egypt. Some areas have left. Some have crossed the Red Sea. Some areas are wandering in the desert. Some have crossed Jordan. Some are fighting Amalek. Different, Lord. Different, different. 
But wherever we are, unless we know where we are, we will not know where we are going. That's the first question you asked man. Adam, Adam, where are you? And I pray, Lord, your Spirit will show each one of us where exactly we are and what is the way forward, not backward. There is no going back to Egypt. There is no going back to Egypt. The way is always forward. But we need to know where we are and what our struggles are, what our weaknesses are, what our strengths are. We need to know it all so that we know how to fight this good fight of faith and move forward, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, thank you. I speak your, 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 your comfort that you haven't abandoned us. You are with us in this journey. You are for us in this fight. And each one will stand up in a high position. They are able to see clearly, not in their strength, but with the rod of God in their hands. Not just praying, but watching. But with the power and the authority of God to destroy the powers of darkness and to destroy the flesh. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.